Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 151, The Big Forever Love. This week we're discussing season 3, episode 1 of Angel, Heartthrob, and season 1, episode 6 of Battlestar Galactica, Litmus. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so Angel is first this week, which usually doesn't happen. Um, we're mixing it up right. because of our our new, well, it's not a new sequence, but it's it's different than usual because Angel premiered before Buffy this year, um, right. which hasn't happened yet. So, yeah, we get a double dose of angels. So I still don't know what happens <laughs> after Buffy season but, five. But you can see now, well, I mean. Why this is better. Yes. We, we've talked about the fact that, like, we, we already know at this point that Buffy comes back somehow. Sure, sure. And, and we don't know the details around. Well, you don't know the details around that. But, you know, the fact that, like. Like, even in this episode, there's obviously reference to it and, like, Angel yeah. referring. So, like, if we went and watched Buffy and saw, like, oh, yeah. she's back or whatever, like, that would kind of throw off yeah. just some of that conversation, yeah. I think. Yeah. So, no, I think, like, just for the sake of clarity of thought and everything, like, it, it helps to be more in the headspace of this episode if you're at least to a certain extent under the, you know, the the cloud of Buffy still being, you know, dead and everything. Um, so, yeah, and that's kind of where I want to start. Um, because, you know, a lot of the episode deals with uh, these kind of uh, strong romantic connections and what, like, Cordy calls, you know, the, the big forever love, which is where we got our title. Um, but you know, the episode doesn't have a ton to do with Buffy, except that it's really like the episode that's dealing with Angel's grief over the loss of Buffy. Um, so where we left off, which was him getting the news from Willow, you know, we pick up that he's gone off to sort of be by him, brewed with his thoughts for a couple months um, for like a nice, quiet, spiritual retreat and everything. Um, so you definitely get that he's still uh, coming to terms with it and doesn't even really fully come to terms with it, if at all, by the end of the episode. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's not too much to say about his retreat. I mean, he goes away. It's supposed to be peaceful. It's it's not really. He ends up fighting some demon monks, but that's the kind of nod to the fact that, okay, we were on hiatus over the summer. So we're picking up like several months later, uh, than where we left off. Um, sure. but I guess to kind of talk about the Buffy stuff up front, um, you know, you have him coming back at least with the, the pretense that he's actually worked through a lot of this stuff. Um, and in some ways he has, like, I think that's kind of uh, the point of the episode at the end from the conversations he, he has with Cordy is kind of saying he's 
it's almost like the hardest aspect of this whole thing to him is the fact of how not difficult it's been. Not that it wasn't sad and painful, but he's a little bit, I think, worried over how well he's handling it. Mm. So you have this kind of, you know, on the one hand, uh, not wanting to seem totally devastated and, uh, you know, broken up by it. But also like when Cordy really like pokes and prods and tries to get him to say what's going on, he has to kind of admit like, it's not like he's holding back some like, you know, breakdown that he's about to have. He's actually able to sort of come to terms with it. Um, And that's like the most worrying part to him. Um, Yeah. So yeah, which I guess is kind of, you know, pointing to how, even though they kind of acknowledge that for Buffy and Angel, like they were kind of the loves of their lives and maybe even they won't have any other relationships that were quite that uh, intense or passionate again. They both, I think, as characters were able to move on from that. Um, You know, Buffy was able to have, you know, a not perfect, but a good relationship with Riley for a while, Um, you know, and then found even other, you know, motivations to keep living, you know, just taking care of her family and everything. Um, Mm. And I feel like Angel, okay, like we're two, we're now starting season three of Angel and maybe it's kind of a, like the silver lining is him kind of realizing he's not as, you know, uh, dependent on that relationship with Buffy as he would have been, you know, two or three years ago or something. Um, That he has a life of his own and friends and everything and reasons to keep going. And of course, you know, we're seeing this. I mean, we've had a couple weeks of hiatus, right? But not like, you know, the whole summer, right? So again, we get, um, as we have gotten frequently with Buffy, right? Like where, in between the seasons there there's a feeling of time passing right like yeah. it's always in the early seasons it was like you know several months have gone by and like you know buffy will goes away for like summer vacation and then she's back for school or that kind of thing and, yeah um you know that same sort, sort of thing happens here right so you get um you know angel going to this uh you know, monastery or whatever in Sri Lanka, which just happens to be infested with demons. So like he's able to sort of take out his aggression and stuff. Yeah. So, you know, it, even though, so kind of the point I want to bring up though, is that with, with Angel, like, you know, in Showtime though, it still wasn't like that long ago that like he went to Sunnydale to like comfort Buffy, Mm -hmm. you know, on the death of her mother and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been a number of months now, but um, I don't know. It just can be sort of easy to kind of let that sort of thing go that like, not that I think we can necessarily, you know, want to disbelieve him when he says like, oh, I'm not bothered by it. But like, it does seem, I don't know, it, it does seem a little like hey, you know, not so long ago you were just running off to Sunnydale to, like, comfort her and stuff. So, yeah. like, there's there's still there's still something there, obviously. And I don't, yeah. I, I don't necessarily mean to say either that, like, 
he's being callous and unfeeling either. But I don't know. It's just, it, it is interesting to me that it's like, that he's like, oh, you know, the problem here, and I know I'm kind of jumping ahead maybe mm-hmm. a bit, but, you know, w- when he's talking with Cordy and saying like, oh, you know, the the problem is that I'm okay with being okay. <laughs> like, like that losing Buffy didn't kill me, he says, you know, that I can deal with it. Um, yeah. And all that. Um, yeah, I mean... I think I feel like I didn't even get the impression that like, yeah, maybe he's being a little cavalier about it, but it's not even so much that he isn't saying that he's not bothered by it, but I feel like it's kind of resisting that thing, which this is a stereotype, but you know, is sometimes a thing with this kind of like, you know, let's put Angel and Buffy in the kind of, like, YA paranormal romance section of the bookstore, you know, of, like, you know, like, I feel like if Buffy and Angel were in a bookstore, you could plausibly shelve it there. Um, And, like, I think one of the, one of the impulses there is making these, uh, you know, these romantic relationships this all-consuming thing where, you know, if, you know, you, you'll die if you lose the other one, you know, which is, I think, where the James and Elizabeth plot sort of comes in, which we'll talk about, that he kind of embodies that idea of, like, if she gets killed, then I don't want to live anymore, or, like, it doesn't even matter if I get killed, because I'm dead already, like, this kind of, like, very, um, you know, over the top sort of sentiment behind it. And, and that's not to say that people don't really feel that way or that when you lose someone, it doesn't feel like the end of the world, but it almost feels like, like the angel story is like resisting that and kind Mm -hmm. of him saying like, it's not that he doesn't care or that there's not still a connection or that he doesn't even still love her. Like he says, you know, the love of his life died. Like he admits that he loves her more than he'd ever loved anybody. So, but I think him kind of realizing like, well, gee, you know, losing the love of your life doesn't necessarily mean that your life ceases to have other things that are worth living for, you know? And I think like him being a little uncomfortable with that realization, but like, actually realizing like there are reasons to keep going and uh it doesn't have to sort of lead to the like you know despair spiral that it might have done at other times so um or like with Buffy after Angel was lost yeah exactly she ran off to yeah where else LA of course because that's where you go that's where you go if you're like (laughs) lost and lonely and confused um yeah, so I kind of feel like uh, I don't know that I necessarily totally like disbelieve him when he says that, that he's okay. Like, and I don't think that necessarily means that he's not grieving, um, you know, but I think, yeah, I think he's sort of surprised with how uh, he's sort of, you know, being able to process it 
and that that is the most worrying aspect to him that it didn't totally you know send him into that kind of pit of you know grief and everything um you know and and i think like having uh you know having gotten back together with his new sort of crew and having these other people to um care for and work with and and you know fight with and all these things is what you know he's kind of realizing also gives him that other meaning in his life beyond just you know pining for buffy forever um so yeah so that's how i read it like i took it a little bit more um i guess at face value when he said that um so sure Fair enough. Um, okay, so the grief over Buffy, like that's all part of it, obviously. And um, <clears throat> you know, the the story is set up to compare, uh, you know, Angel's love or lack thereof with mm-hmm. Darla. Um, mm-hmm. and himself against sort of James and Elizabeth. But mm-hmm. then there's also, like, that comparison is also between him and Buffy, right? Because you get that at the end, like, with the confrontation with James and everything, where James is like, what, you love someone? You you put someone else before yourself kind of thing. Yeah. Um So we should talk about James and Elizabeth, since they're like, um, well, they're kind of, to uh to reference the bsg episode james and elizabeth are kind of the litmus test against which uh angel's loves for darla and then buffy are sort of put against right yeah Um, yeah yeah well and and i think that's where james and elizabeth like i was saying they come in as that embodiment of that very um you know i'm trying to think of a good adjective but like that all consuming uh sure you know even melodramatic level of of right. of romantic feeling that um that doesn't see a purpose in life beyond you know this relationship um and you know interesting again i think we're getting more and more you know vampires as we go on who show signs of humanity in their own way that like here are two vampires without souls that um are in this committed (laughs) relationship for you know 200 or so years or whatever so um you know we don't know them well enough to, to like i think judge the 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 depth of that feeling but you know, you definitely get that they've been together this whole time and are, you know, very uh, protective of the other one. Um, You know, and Elizabeth has had the locket that he gave her, you know, still wears it to this day. And, you know, he, I mean, James becomes actively suicidal when he loses her. So, you know, they're not necessarily, you know, they're still kind of, evil and monstrous in all of the vampire ways 
but not to the point of being just about, you know, self-preservation and survival above all else. Like there is, there is this one thing they hold higher, which is this relationship to the other one. So, um, but like, again, it's, it's, it's over the top and performative and, you know, all these things, you know, that like James kind of wants to take all of this stuff that he's doing as proof that he's better than Angel, you know, that he, mm -hmm. he loved more deeply. And if you really love someone, you'll, you know, not just die for them, but die when they're gone, that you can't even, you know, go a day uh, you know, without right. them. Um, and unless you're willing to do that and prove that, then your love isn't really worth much at all. Um, so I guess that's what it comes down to is like a, a war between those two ideologies, which is kind of interesting. Cause I think like in general, we want to, idealize that notion of you love someone so much that you can't live without them and you'll do anything for them. But um, this kind of puts those things side by side and tries to like, I think, really make you think about, okay, like, just because Angel doesn't go to, you know, the slog demon and cut out his heart, you know, when Buffy dies, does that mean that his feelings for her were less? Um, sure. And are there other ways of loving and showing love than that kind of all-consuming, self-destructive, like, passion, I guess? Right. Yeah. Which, even as I say that, it kind of reminds me, like, of the episode Passion, you know, back in season two, where that's kind of where the Buffy angel relationship started was that kind of, you know, um, passionate. Yes. But somewhat like maybe immature understanding of each other. Whereas like now, you know, angel and Buffy, yes, they still cared for each other and had this connection even up to like the most recent episodes, but there's still, they've grown apart or beyond that or something um or at least they're not they don't feel that way towards each other anymore that you know anyway yeah um wait so you mentioned the episode passion that's the one where angelus uh kills jenny is that the one you're thinking of yeah, well, it's passion and innocence are the pair, and um, I forget exactly what happens in each one. Uh, su surprise, you mean? Surprise. Oh, that's different. All right, I'm I'm getting confused then. Yeah. I'll then forget what I was thinking. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I got those episodes confused. Um. But I, yeah. I mean, Sur Sur surprise and innocence are the ones where Buffy and Angel first sleep together and then Angel turns into Angelus. Okay. 
And then Passion is later in the season when Angelus kills uh, Jenny. And, like, remember, he leaves, like, the picture and Giles comes in thinking, oh, tonight's the night. I do remember that. In my memory, they were all right back to back. So I forgot Uh, that there were some episodes in between there. Um, Right. But I was thinking of, like, that arc as just, like, connecting to this idea of, like, that's kind of where Buffy and Angel sort of started at the kind of peak of their relationship, I guess. Sure. Um, And, like passion being both like the expression of their love for each other, but also the way in which it all sort of becomes very dangerous and, you know, falls apart and, you know, leads to all these things. Um, So I feel like you get James and Elizabeth sort of embodying that, that sort of, that's the way they approach their relationship is Mm. like that kind of dangerous passion for each other. Um, that you know everything else is sort of put to the side um and that's kind of elevated to like the most important thing so now that now that i realize i forgot which episodes that is i don't know that i was making such a great point but (laughs) (laughs) no i think that makes sense because i think you know i mean one there's you know this was a few years ago and okay granted like like there is a sense in which even with like angelus and darla right like we learn that they sort of like terrorize europe for a hundred years or whatever right Mm -hmm. um there is a sense and and actually looking at like spike and drew Mm -hmm. in the same way like they're together for a really long time obviously so there is a sense that um like when you become a vampire like it stifles your you know aging like you don't age anymore and you don't die and you know all of that but like it almost seems like it it sort of uh inhibits your emotional growth at the same time Mm -hmm. so like you know these these people who are you know very much have that like teenager or or young adult sort of love just kind of stick there until there's something that like changes that you know sort of externally so for like angel or well angelus and darla it's getting a soul you know for angel and um for spike and drew it's you know basically spike getting a chip right like i mean there's there's like other stuff that sort of happens you know with them whatever but you get the sense that like had spike not come back to sunnydale and gotten captured and gotten a chip like they would still be doing that sort of like on again off again thing that they just keep doing right like um yeah so like but you know you get the sense that with james and elizabeth they're just like they've just been going along and there's nothing that's like change the nature of their relationship so they're still sort of like emotionally and you know physically or whatever sort of in the same state that they've just always been in Mm -hmm. um and just sort of have you know uh uh i don't i don't know what the right term is but just sort of like get get stuck in that you know same mode Mm -hmm. um but yeah, no, I think I think 
it's right to sort of compare them then to like teenage Buffy. I mean, not that like it was that long ago, sort of objectively in Buffy's life, but like just think how much growing up she's done. Yeah. In like the last three, mm-hmm. whatever, three and a half years. And, you know, like now she's an adult and, you know, Angel has had to sort of go through that too. Like part of, part of his having a soul means that like, he's growing older too. Like where, Mm -hmm. you know, whereas that's not like the vampire thing to do, but he's, you know, learned and taken on responsibility. And sure. Like we, we've seen even that it took him some time. Right. Because like through flashbacks, we saw like the fact that he still had a soul when like they were at the boxer rebellion and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was the hotel, you know, in, in, are you now, or have you ever been? And, you know, so like, it's not like, like he's grown in a number of ways, not just sort of in this one way, but this is like a new mature way to sort of think about it. And, um, yeah, like you have the very, Romeo and Juliet sort of you know oh my love has died so now I must kill myself as well Mm -hmm. you know and and all of that with James and Elizabeth um with the sort of added twist that you know I'm gonna try to take out this guy I hate yeah you know who killed my love at the same time yeah um so so yeah I mean I don't I you know I don't know that uh you know, I don't know that that's that far off. I think that's a good, good way to sort of compare the two. Sure. Um, so on the subject of James's sort of revenge plan and everything, um, he goes to uh, Dr. Gregson, who is a slod or a slog demon, something like that. Um, Slod with a D. Yeah. With a D. Um, yeah. and we see that he's a demon because when they come into the room, he's sort of like pulling goop off of himself, um, which he says he goes through monthly. Um, so there's like so not only does he like practice this sort of like, you know, magical demonic medicine, um, and they also say like he's like a collector of stuff, like what he collects is not hundred percent clear, but also like he has this sort of, uh, uh, they mention it. It's oh, organs. We? Oh, yeah. okay. I didn't hear yeah. that. I heard them just say he was a collector. Um, yeah. but then we also like get the idea that he goes through these sort of periodic, like, I don't know, transformations of some kind. Um, so kind of an intriguing little glimpse of a character. So I kind of made me wonder, whether there's more to his story that we haven't seen, but, um, hmm. but anyway, he, I guess is known as if you, if you want this procedure gun done, he's your guy. So, uh, he cuts out James's heart so that he can't be killed as long as this, you know, uh, invincibility lasts. And then at the end he'll die. So it's sort of his, I'm going to go down, but I'll take you with me kind of, you know, a plan that he has. Um, Yeah. 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 Um, We don't see Dr. Gregson. Oh, okay. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, I. Yeah, he. I don't know. It's kind of a weird. Like he's very much just sort of a plot device for James to, you know, sure do something. But um, yeah, they they mentioned briefly that he that he collects rare organs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever that means. Yeah. Like apparently, vampire hearts are like part of that right. collection right. now. But um, I'm curious. So when the vampire dies, does like the heart like turn to dust as well? Like right. Um. Yeah. Anyway, so neither here nor there. Um. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I you know I've never been with a woman for over 200 years so like i suppose maybe at that point you just sort of assume that you'll always be together um clearly that was james's (laughs) assumption um and he found it unbearable to not be there and and to the point where he's just sort of willy-nilly killing whoever right like he kills his own henchman Mm -hmm. um sort of out of spite yeah um yeah for not being able to protect her from from Angel. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I think what we see of them in the flashback, too, it seems like that he hasn't changed much. Like, he's very reckless there, too, and very, you know, like, uh, wanting to fight with, you know, this uh, really feared vampire killer and antagonize all the, like, local, you know, you know, troops on horses and everything and kind of gallantly telling the women like, you go, we'll fight. Like he has this very like, you know, uh, you know, romantic swashbuckling self kind of sacrificial thing going on. That seems to be, uh, he's sort of been waiting for an opportunity to die for his love. You know, it seems like that's been his kind of thing all along. Um, and is sort of continually both in the past and the present, kind of frustrated and disgusted when Angel doesn't act that way. And Angel is like, from James's point of view, Angel is far too pragmatic about all this. Like you clearly don't love, you know, your women enough. If, if you are not going to be willing to lay down your life, you know, for them at every opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's sort of another, like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, characteristic, I guess, of that sort of like teenage love, right? It's like that you're the only one who has ever felt true love. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody else who has ever loved or whoever will love is doing it wrong. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, if they're not following your example to a T, then then everyone else is wrong and and you're right. Um, And like, yeah, it is that sort of like, sort of haughty like uh you know i'm better at love than you are Mm -hmm. you know sort of attitude that he has um which is kind of funny because like in in some respect then um and maybe like this might even be going against what i said a little bit before about um angel and darla sort of having um you know sort of being a similar sort of thing going on there. But mm-hmm. um yeah, their love is sort of like more mature, I guess, if you want to call it that in mm-hmm. a way. And so far as like, 
like they they do have that practical aspect, but you know, they're also like, it's a very different, you know, I think we've talked before about how like Angel and Darla have always had sort of a, a predatory love as mm. well. Right. Like they're, you know, yes, there's, it's love and they're companions and stuff, but even like, so, <laughs> I mean, sort of foreshadowing the end of this episode um mm-hmm. even when like angel and darla most recently slept together like mm-hmm. angel says like you know it was never about love it was about like hating yeah. myself kind of thing and yeah. and you get the sense that he's not just talking about that time that like yeah. he's talking about their entire time together whereas for darla it does seem to be more than that um like more like there does seem to be at least some kind of love there now who knows with angel like when he was angelus like maybe that was just his way of loving or whatever and like you even have to think back to like drusilla Mm -hmm. who um you know like when buffy sort of scoffs and says you know vampires can't love or whatever and and drusilla says oh we can if not always wisely Mm -hmm. (laughs) right like like the the fact of vampire love isn't in question it's just you know are you capable of doing it you know well and wisely like drusilla says Uh, you know which fair point you know humans often love unwisely as well so it's not you know does that make it better or worse than you know sort of human love but um sort of the point i'm kind of stumbling around here is to say that uh with Darla and and Angel, like there is definitely, like it's that thing of of yeah, the young whippersnappers are kind of like in there, you know. Oh, I'll steal this necklace for you, and I'll fight the you know mm-hmm. authorities for you, and all this and that. But you know, he he gets very judgmental and and offended even when mm-hmm. like Angel doesn't go the same way, but with Angel and Darla, or Angelus and Darla, anyway, it's, you know, very much more, uh, like, they all, it's almost, almost the maturity of it is that they recognize that they're, like, independent personalities, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, there's, there's that sense of, like, not that they wouldn't be sad if the other one was gone, but also a sense of, like, they each have their own sort of existence, whereas with James and Elizabeth, that's not the case, like, as James clearly shows later, like when Elizabeth is gone, he has no desire to live or do anything as well. And whereas with, yeah, you almost get the sense. I I never thought of this comparison before, but you almost get a sense between Angel and Darla of almost like river and the doctor, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right. Of like, like they're happy to be together when they're together, but they also, you know, are perfectly fine going off doing their own thing for a while. Yeah. Um, yeah you know so i you know i don't know that i made any grand uh conclusions with any of that i feel like i stumbled around a bit but um you know i do feel like just that very ability to sort of like you know now maybe they actively put each other in harm harm's way a little more than river and the doctor did although maybe not quite more (laughs) often than river and the doctor did um but you know, there's, there is that sense of that they do feel a certain independence of each other, even while still 
clearly being affectionate towards each other and yeah, each of them wanting to have some sort of companionship. If if it came down to it, each of them would choose them self preservation over the other. Like, um, like you know, Darla will leave him in the burning building if if that's necessary, and that doesn't mean that they don't have that connection and wouldn't come back together later. You know, um, but there's also like that kind of sense of, well, at the end of the day, like, you know, uh, each of us is like number one in our own, you know, lives and everything. Um, yeah. And I think that's exactly in a, in a less, uh, you know, violent way. I think that's exactly what Angel realizes. That's the realization he has about Buffy is, oh, mm my life doesn't cease to exist if she stops living, you know, that I actually do have, you know, a life independently of, of her, which is the kind of, you know, good side of that coin, you know, that your, your whole existence isn't dependent upon this other person. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but with, with Darla and Angelus, it goes beyond that, even to like a kind of, you know, competitive, almost like predatory thing as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. And actually, I, I, you know, the one line that jumped out to me, too, is when uh, I think it's James is talking about that you're not the same man who screwed Darla and couldn't care less what happened to her. And he goes, where did you hear that? Oh, you mean back in the day. Right. So it, like <laughs> he almost thinks about, oh, you mean that other thing like like a couple months ago, you know, or whatever. And then realizes, oh, you're talking about history, but like nothing's really changed there. Like, so I think that's, right. a, that supports your point that that was always true to a certain extent. It's not like that has only become true since he got his soul back. But even when they were a couple, there was a mm -hmm. sense of, well, yeah, we're we're this couple. We care about each other. We'll fight for each other up to a point, but we also have this limit, you know, wherever that is, in which like we're not totally, you know, uh, dependent on the other one, and we'll like abandon each other if it suits them and whatever. Um, right. So, and it also again to foreshadow the ending a little bit it reminds you of the fact that oh yeah they you know slept together last season because oops that might be important in a little bit <laughs> so in case you forgot like in like 10 minutes from it, now yeah, yeah. just like, keep that in mind it's like it's like a way of reminding the audience like oh yeah don't forget like you know that's what's you know gonna be important so right about Maybe eight, mm, nine months nah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um I mean, we had her at the end, but let's let's go on to to Darla, since we're on the subject of her. Um Sure. Cause yeah, she has uh a little memento of their love for each life, other. Life is full of surprises. Yeah. As is Afterlife. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Unlife. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. She has a very uh, tangible memento of their love for each other. Um, yeah. And she turns around with her, not just pregnant, but like 
really pregnant. Like she's like due any second now pregnant. So um, yeah, well, and, that's definitely a surprise. And so she's in this uh, Central American bar, right? Yeah. And this guy comes in to mm-hmm. give her info for a shaman. Mm-hmm. Like presumably it's like an address or phone number or something. We don't really know. Yeah. Um, and then he's like trying to hit on her. Apparently, yeah. like he can't see under the bar to like <laughs> notice. She's not looking for a relationship right now. Right. <laughs> um. But yeah, like I mean, we don't know what she's looking for, but it seems like those two things could be maybe related to yeah. you know. Yeah. Like maybe he's like a midwife shaman. Right. Or or whatever the shaman version of a midwife is. Right. Right, because I don't think we've had any vampire pregnancies yet in the shows, so I imagine this isn't just any normal baby, you know? This is, I mean, maybe it is, what do I know? But, you know, it's it's the baby of two vampires, so, you know, it might need some extra special attention, you know? It might come out differently than, you know, normal babies or human babies come out. So I feel, I'm sorry for anybody that doesn't watch Orphan Black. I feel like I have to call it babies. It's like babies. so imprinted in my brain right now. <laughs> Science babies. Helena is, is speaking to me. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Also retroactively helps to justify Darla's disappearance in the second half of season two. <laughs> Cause it's like, you know, it hasn't, it's, it's obviously been long. It's not just the three months that we haven't seen her. It's, it's right. a full term pregnancy. So she's right. been off, you know, uh, becoming more and more pregnant this whole time. So, um, that makes sense that the last time we saw her was when they were together. And then this is now the next time that we see her. Right. Um, yeah. And you had mentioned that, I think. I don't remember when, maybe it was in our recap when we were talking just in general and it was hard for me to not say anything like, <laughs> Oh, sure. we'll see her again soon. Yeah, yeah. Although, although this was, um, they did, uh, I don't know if you caught it, but, um, Julie Benz's name was in the opening credits. Uh, I didn't, guest. I didn't. Sometimes I read them and sometimes I am yeah, not paying attention. I, well, so I, you're just, way better at that than I am like at noticing that sort of thing so I just wasn't sure um but it wasn't like like with last the you know the last episode of last season Mm -hmm. where they left Willow off right um and didn't put her until the closing credits right or you know Allison Hannigan right well and Um, even if I knew that we would see Darla I didn't predict uh the well, that's preg- true because she's in the flashback. She's in the flashback too, right? That's true so, too. That's so true too. Even if you had seen it, like it wouldn't yeah. necessarily. Yeah, yeah. yeah it didn't give away her storyline or anything. Um, um. So actually, and, and before we sort of move off of Angel, and I don't, I mean, I don't know. I know we have a few other things to talk about, but sort of before we move away from Angel and Darla and that too, um, you had mentioned the vampire hunter who's after them, who we actually yeah. see this time. So it, yeah. uh, his, his name is Holtz. Yeah. And I think 
I think I had mentioned, although maybe maybe I didn't, uh-huh. maybe I'm just misremembering, but I think I had mentioned that we would, like the name Holtz would be, uh, you know, would come back again. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, interesting yeah, to me. Just, Inter- just want to point out that that this is the same guy as as the burning, you know, barn yeah. episode. Like the, this was the guy who was after them, even though we didn't see him then. So so we now have sort of a face to the name. And um, it won't be I, I'll just say it won't be the last time we sort of hear about him. Like, yeah, there's sort of a continuing saga mm-hmm. um, with him. So interesting to me, too, that I feel like. um this is the first time we've heard about like a famous vampire hunter that's not uh like a slayer. Um sure. You know, like I think sure. normally like you have watchers and stuff. Um and but like usually I mean there's always a slayer, you know, even right. in this time period there's a slayer somewhere out there. But like they talk about him as like the most feared vampire hunter out there so that's kind of an unusual qualification i think yeah well and and that he's the most famous not the only right so like yeah there's even that implication of that there are more of them than just him right so um yeah i mean you know i think at this point we know that there's like sort of a bigger stage than just Sunnydale or LA, right? Like, like that there's, um, uh, like we've seen that there's other sort of movers and shakers in the world and that there's kind of a, a bigger battle, if you want to call it that going Mm on. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I have anything more to add than just one to note that he's sort of there and that like we get to actually see him this time. So yeah. like they've they've gone to the trouble of hiring an actor, you know, yeah. <laughs> to like yeah, help yeah. flesh out the story a little bit. Um, but also, you know, that yeah, like that there is, you know, again with the whole idea of like higher powers and you know, there's like these these bigger groups of sort of alliances and operators sort of working on one side or the other of, you know, this fight for and against evil. Yeah. Um, And Holt seems to be, you know, whatever he is, whether he's like, you know, we don't know where like he comes from or what, if he has like, is he on a mission? Like, Mm -hmm. has he been hired by someone? Is is it, you know, like we're talking, you know, what is it, 18th or 19th century France? So, like, is this, like, is it a church thing? Like, mm-hmm. is it, you know, um, you know, is this like Van Helsing or something, you know, right, right. where he just happens to be like a guy who was indoctrinated somehow into sort of the subculture and, and now he's doing what he can to, mm-hmm. you know, alleviate the world of the vampire threat kind of thing or, you know whatever mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah like i said it, it won't be the last time we sort of hear or see him actually so just figured i'd mention that and you know yeah. we'll we'll keep our eyes and ears open. i mean he won't it's not like he'll be a regular or anything but 
you know, sure. Just no, but it seemed like I definitely got that storyline. Yeah, I got that impression that there was more that that you know could be said about him and sort of what his whole motivation is yeah. and everything. Well, and you even sort of get the hint, right, of you know what Darla says in the mm-hmm. flashback of um, she's like, oh, he chased us, you know from one place to the next to the next and what happens if he chases us again like do we go to the new world you know like mm-hmm. you know so so there is sort of that implication like we know well we know they ended up in the new world eventually yeah. so like maybe that is exactly what happened and and so there's you know maybe some links to sort of fill in that period of time as well but yeah yeah anyway um so I've sort of lost track of time because we've had a few little technical difficulties here yeah, with this one, <laughs> but um, I feel like we've got a few more pieces to talk about and then yeah. we can move on. Um, yeah, well, so to wrap up quickly with Angel, uh, I did want to bring up Fred, um, who spends the episode hiding in her room. So she's come back from Pylea, still not totally her, you know, Whatever her old self looks like, she's not there yet. She's, you know, kind of having a difficult uh, transition back to, you know, Earth life. Um, And is doing the same sorts of things she did in her cave, like writing her little words and formulas all over, you know, her room and staying away from everybody else. Um, But you definitely get that Angel's the one person that she trusts and feels you know safe with and connected to and everything Mm -hmm. um so you know she's pretty much not come out for the whole summer while he's been away but she will let him in and and try to talk to him and even is kind of like embarrassed when he says he can't come in when she misunderstands and thinks that he doesn't want to come talk to her you know like how easily that kind of pushes her into, you know, that insecurity and embarrassment and everything. Um, you know, and he says, like, I can't come in. And she's like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. It's fine. It's fine. We don't have to talk. And she's, like, ready to, like, push him out and, you know, close the door and everything. Um, so, yeah, and he kind of tries to coax her out, and she is almost there when he yells at her and tells her <laughs> to go back in. So it's, like, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing of, like, you know, um, that, you know, set her back a little bit, but, um, yeah. So, I mean, we'll have to see where that goes, like what kinds of, you know, issues that she's still dealing with and everything, but, um, and I mean, we don't know really too much about her life outside of like, what her home or family life was like, like interesting that she's still with the group though. Um, it's not like she's gone to, you know, her family or, you know, whatever, like she's not interacting, but she's staying in the hotel. So that kind of suggests interesting things about what family she may or may not have to go back to. So. Yeah. 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 We don't know at this point. So, um, and so, um, like with her writing 
on the walls and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, you get like the moment where like Angel asks, you know, listen, listen, listen. What are you, mm. what are you listening for? Like, there's, there seems to be something like in in Pylea when we saw Fred, like she she kept talking about like the resonance and like you know the portals and like like it always seemed like she was like hearing stuff sort of on the side and so like now she she says she's listening for the click when it like all makes sense and mm -hmm. um you do get that feeling of like like she's trying to put together like what it all means and there's just that sense of like well it doesn't necessarily mean anything mm -hmm. you know like that there's you know, like when Angel asks her, like, well, what happens if you run out of wall space and mm. you haven't, like, heard the click yet? And, you know, she says she doesn't know. So, you know, there is that sense of she's back, but not not really back. Mm -hmm. Like, there's there's still something. I mean, obviously, we didn't know her before, but, like, we know that she was a student and holding down a job and, you know, like at least seemed capable of being with people. <laughs> mm -hmm. Whereas like, you know, there's something, you know, you know, the way that she's living now just is obviously nothing like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Anyway. Um, but you do get Amy Acker being included in the main credits as part mm -hmm. of the main cast. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's a pretty clear indication that she's going to be around a while. Yeah. As far as we know. Yes. At least long enough to justify putting her on the credits for a period of time. Um, right. So for, for Cordy and Wes and Gunn, um, I mean, we talked about Cordy's sort of conversation with Angel and definitely like you're getting a really strong sense of her uh, looking out for him and her understanding of him, like, like Wesley and Gunn sort of, again, believe him with no questions when he says like, I'm doing pretty well and everything. And they think he looks better. And Cordy's the one to kind of, I don't know, like be a little skeptical, like something else must be bugging him underneath. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So she can kind of see that. Um and, you know, and is sort of uh, compassionate, but her kind of uh, incisiveness enough to kind of tell him the right thing and then sort of conclude like, well, I'm Cordy. I don't think I know. So she's become this like right. figure of wisdom who like tells you truths and you know that they're true because, you know, she's confident and she doesn't lie and she, she says what she thinks. So, um, yeah, yeah, I thought that was a good kind of, uh, showing the strength of her relationship with angel. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I mean, and it, which is, you know, not that like, I mean, we're now into the third season of Angel. So, I mean, you know, we've had two full years of Cordy mm -hmm. and Angel sort of without, um, you know, without Buffy and the gang, which when you think about it, like, 
by the end of this season, considering that the first the first season of Buffy was only, you know, like half a season long, you mm-hmm. know, equivalent. Um, you're basically going to have, I, you know, by midpoint in the season, you'll have had Angel and Cordy together in their own show as long as they were on Buffy. Yeah. The two of them together, you mm-hmm. know, so so like you're like this is very much, a, you know mature friendship at this point like Mm -hmm. you know where you have that uh you know ability to sort of like see each other in ways that just nobody else can because they just know each other that much better yeah but you know obviously not a romantic one where you had like with buffy and angel this is you know again very much a friendship it's it's a you know we can be honest with each other so you know, let's yeah. do so <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. Um, yeah. And then Cordy and her visions are getting, getting worse, mm-hmm. um, which we've like, not the first time we've sort of noticed or, or mentioned that, you know, that, that each one seems to be worse, but this one, like this one, like requires like recovery time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, we haven't really seen that a lot, except, like, the one where, you know, the demon, like, touched her and, and she was, like, getting right, like in the over hospital, and over yeah. again and yeah. stuff. Like, that was sort of a special case. But, like, this one, it's, like, it really takes it out of her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you get the sense of, you know, again, there was some time passage. So, like, maybe what you might not see incrementally on a week-to-week basis, you know, now that there's been, like, three months pass, mm-hmm. you know, you, there's clearly something going on here. Yeah. Um, and <clears throat> just a callback to, of what, uh, the Gruselug had said to her at the, you know, in, at, in the whole Pylea arc in the last season of, she's not a demon. So like, she's not really sort of built mm-hmm. to carry, you know, these visions or whatever. Yeah. Yep. Um, for Wesley, so, for Wesley and Gunn, I feel like I don't have a lot for them in particular. I mean, I mean, they're still working really well as a team from what we saw, and we see like Wesley and Gunn go off on their own to get information from their sources, so they have sources now. So like, they're oh. very professional, but it's like. The same source. It's like I, I was gonna say, like you have to laugh. Like their yeah. sources are Lauren who, and uh, and Merle. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're the same exact sources that Angel had. Yeah, yeah. It's just that yeah. they sort of took them over. And I like that. Like Merle will still give them information as long as he doesn't have to deal directly with Angel. Like he's not against being a source. It's just he doesn't. Angel was like too rough with him. Um, but yeah, they're still getting information from those same places. Um. Yeah, I don't know that I have much to to say about them other than that. Um, I feel like the episode is more about Angel and the Angel Cordy relationship, but uh, sure. But yeah, everybody's sort of back and working as a team for the moment and kind of getting along and feeling good about what they're doing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The and so. You get the sense, well, I got the sense anyway, too, that with 
Wesley and Gunn and Cordy. Um, like, in one sense, the opening is sort of a callback to when Angel fired them and they were sort of on their own, you know, running their own thing. Mm -hmm. um, but in, in another sense, it's completely opposite because like just the tone and everything is so different of, mm -hmm. you know, this is not Angel abandoning them, but this is them giving Angel time to, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, recuperate and, yeah. you know, figure things out kind of thing. So like, like, it, you know, on the one hand, it, it is them like, and they're, you know, well-oiled. And that experience of being alone before has mm -hmm. probably prepared them for Angel going off for three months in this way. But but it's, you know, 180 degrees different in sort of the feel of yeah. that, you know, situation. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and, and, of course, you know, uh, when Angel comes back and his sort of, grumbling that like they've changed everything around he can't find find his hurling axe right <laughs> because cordy has gone and like reorganized yeah. the weapons cabinet yeah she had like spring cleaning and like yeah moved stuff to the basement and threw out stuff they didn't need and everything yeah so that's kind of funny mm -hmm. all right um yeah so okay um should we move on to uh Battlestar Galactica then yeah sounds and, good uh see if we can get through this one um okay. all right so I I would this is a tough one to sort of like parcel out and and you know like I know in in our prior discussion so far we've sort of been able to um break break them into like sort of discrete like you know groups or or you know yeah, pairs, pairs that of characters like, yeah. you know can talk about and i found this one harder to do um other other than for like hilo and sharon mm -hmm. um just because like the plot sort of interweaves them all mm -hmm. i feel like even even a little bit more than some previous episodes so yeah. um, having having said that let's start with Hilo and Sharon because they're <laughs> the easiest ones to sort of break out yeah um, sure. as as per usual because they're like yeah on a completely different planet yeah. and stuff yeah um and also because like you know again we're just sort of getting snippets of their story like yes you know we're getting like one one or two scenes per episode versus you know an entire episode focus on them yeah yeah um so uh, this is after Sharon sort of disappeared amidst mm -hmm. the Cylon attack, you know, where they were hiding out. Um, and we get um, Hilo, you know, sort of hiding on or, you know, I, well, I guess hiding is, is right. Like just on this like balcony or like, mm -hmm. a you know, porch or something of, of like an apartment or somewhere. Um but of course, as as has been happening all along, you have like the Cylons watching him, right? Mm -hmm. They're sort of seeing what he's doing, and um, yeah, Sharon, of course, having disappeared, is actually not disappeared. She's just joined her fellow Cylons and right. is sort of watching him, and and they're like catching up and you know plotting and seeing what he's gonna do. Um, 
Yeah, so if it wasn't clear already, this confirms that she's... Right. They're not just being followed, but this is a plan of some sort and that she's been sort of involved all along and, you know, is also kind of monitoring him as well as being like a participant in what's going on. Um, Yeah, and and that the relationship seems like you know a, a a bit of bait to manipulate him to make certain choices you know so um mm. if it comes down to this choice of north or south does he you know follow his love as doral says and and go after sharon or does he kind of you know choose to the the maybe the smarter escape route to go the other way and try to get off the planet and everything yeah. Which I I have to admit I wasn't entirely clear on why why that was the case like why North if you love Sharon I think one of them I don't remember exactly but I feel like one of them is maybe the direction that they were headed and is like the smart direction to get away and go and fly home whereas like the other would be like back into Cylon territory. So mm. to go after Sharon is to go back into like enemy occupied zones. And like, it's a risk. Yeah, but he didn't, he didn't see where Sharon went. So like, why would he necessarily assume that she went north? I kind of presumed it's like the direction they came from maybe. Um, but I'm assuming right. that. I don't necessarily But that's know. what I mean. Like, like not knowing which way she fled. Like, I don't know. It just seemed yeah. like, it, it seemed like a little too clean cut. Yeah, to me, a little bit of a logical like, leap. Yeah. You know, that they were sort of making that yeah. uh, distinction there. But yeah. yeah okay, whatever. Um, no, and I think, you know, yeah, that's a little convenient maybe. But I think you mentioned before we started recording something that hadn't really occurred to me, which is like, that relating to the title of the episode of Litmus of, of it comes down to this either or choice that Hilo has to make and that proving something to the Cylons one way or another um, and that kind of determining his fate, you know, and, and whether or not their plan is going according to the way they want it to and everything. Um, So, yeah. Um, So yeah, he ends up starting to go one way and you kind of see Sharon's, slight disappointment that you know he uh isn't doing what she predicted he would do and coming after her um and then you know he turns around so she can be kind of smug about it like oh he's he's a good man he i knew he would do the right thing um but uh yeah so he ends up doing the right thing but obviously doing the thing that the silence kind of want him to do anyway so kind of playing into their hands a little bit um yeah yeah they've baited the hook and and he he has swallowed it Mm -hmm. um so yeah and uh uh, and strengthening that relationship between sharon and hilo even more so we kind of started with her rescuing him so he got to see her as this sort of you know uh you know savior and everything but now he gets to play the hero and kind of maybe realize maybe it's sort of there to make him realize certain feelings about 
you know, her and what it would mean to lose her and everything. And now he kind of says, you know, we're even. So each of them, so now they have this like very, you know, firm bond that each of them has sort of saved the other one, um, you know, and they're kind of even tighter than they were before. Sure. Sure. And Sharon, so Sharon undergoes uh, torture. Yeah. Of a, of a kind. Um, I, it's not like interrogation torture. It's just, you know, it's like fake torture, but mm-hmm. I mean, it's real torture at the same time. <laughs> like right. they beat the crap out of her basically. Right. Um, right. Mostly, mostly six mostly doing six. the beating. Yeah. Like you get, you get the sense that she's really, um, now this is, you know, the same Cylon who, you know, like snapped a baby's neck. Right. right. So like, you, you know, she, she seems to have a sadistic side to her. Yeah. Um, clearly. Uh, yeah. Or yeah. Not, not the same individual, but the same model. Right. Anyway, who's right. Yeah. I don't neck. think we necessarily know, or I don't necessarily think it's the same individual exactly, but you know, well, yeah, I the same. Got, I always got the sense that, the six that snapped the baby's neck is the one who protects Baltar. Yes. Like that she dies. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so this is a different, a different, diff- individual. a different one, but presumably with the same memories, because we get the understanding that her memories have been uploaded. Right. Right. So, um, yeah. And I, that is striking that Doral gives her kind of one good smack and is that enough? And then like six is like, nope. And she does seem to kind of, <laughs> she kind of seems to maybe enjoy is a strong word i don't know but at least relish and gets into her role of like you know beater upper person um you know so funny that that comes from the feminine seductive number six you know uh and doral is you know just kind of a bit more restrained in that way um Mm -hmm. so yeah um i don't know that i have anything else for them really um no i mean again like their their pieces are coming you know slowly yes (laughs) uh so yeah uh so that brings us to sort of the main uh, plot, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <laughs> which then, you know, makes it hard because it's like, where do you start again? So I guess kind of you, you can look at, um, you had brought up the point that there's sort of an inversion between Hilo and Sharon and Tyrrell and Boomer. Mm-hmm. In this episode where you have, like you said, with Hilo and Sharon, like sort of they're growing closer together mm-hmm. um, and and, you know, starting off apart. And then, you know, at the end, they're together and kind of kissing and helping each other, you know, escape and all yeah. of that. Um, Terrell and Boomer pretty much start off the episode together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you get the, uh, you know, you get the chief kind of sneaking around right like non or or sort of surreptitiously like 
but not really surreptitiously carrying a blanket like through the hallways and being like, okay, is anybody looking at me going to this secret meeting with my, you know, uh, girlfriend who I'm not supposed to have. Yeah. Not surreptitious uh, enough. Yeah. Like clearly like, and, and, you know, Callie who, you know, before we were just getting kind of like the wink, wink, nod, nod, like everyone sort of knew what was going on, but now like, Callie's actively like, I got your back. I'm yeah. watching out, you know, yeah. <laughs> for you. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny. Uh, so, um, yeah, but I mean, you know, they're, they're, they've been told by Ty to stop and they're not. No. Um, that comes back <laughs> to bite them, uh, clearly. And so by, you know, I, you know, I'm jumping ahead, obviously, way, mm -hmm. way to the end. But, you know, by the end, they're, you know, like we said, sort of the opposite of Hilo and Sharon, where they end up breaking <laughs> it off, or specifically Tyrrell ends up breaking it off, which, yeah. you know, is part of that inversion, too, because, right, because, like, in, in the Hilo and Sharon story, it's Hilo who yeah. decides not to break anything off, but to actively go seek Sharon out and, you know, help her and stuff, whereas here it's... Tyrrell making the decision of, mm -hmm. you know, let's break it off or whatever. Um, right. So, and, and it also occurred to me, too, with us knowing that, you know, uh, the Sharons or the Boomers are Cylons and the they're, you know, the rest of the characters not knowing that you get um, even more trust. You know, you get the sense that Hilo is trusting Sharon more and more and more. Um, whereas, sure. uh, Tyrrell is, you get the first hints of some suspicion at the end too, which I don't want to talk about. I think we'll come to that at the end, but again, that kind of, the two couples are going in opposite directions of each other. Right. Um, yeah. So you brought up Callie. And her covering for the chief. And so, yeah, I think we wanted to talk about the deck crew, specifically the three that we really get to know, which is Callie, Jammer, and Sosinus. Um, and, yeah, I think you really get hammered home in many different ways this episode, their loyalty to the chief and their regard for him and everything. And the ways in which they bend the rules and look out for him. And he does the same for them. There's this sort of mutual, like, like when Callie says, I've got your back, it's like, well, chief has their back too, you know, cause he catches them in the, you know, their little, you know, uh, makeshift still, you know, making their moonshine and everything. Um, and he not only doesn't like punish them for it, but kind of says like, you know, kids, let let dad show you how it's done um you know it like the way he talks about them like ch these children um definitely echoes i think the the old man adama relationship you know that they're all kind mm -hmm. of his kids in a way and he bends rules for them when when he deems that appropriate and tyrell kind of does the same with his kids um sure. you know he kind of you know uh gives them a light little reprimand but indulges them pretty fully yeah. you know yeah so yeah well and even is like here let me show you how to really do it yeah like, yeah 
Um, right, right. Um, yeah, and there, so I, you know, I get, you get the sense that, like, I mean, on the one hand, you know, they're, they're under Tyrrell insofar as, you know, they're, they're subordinates to him or whatever. But like you said, they're almost like kids. But there's also, like, there's also that loyalty that mm-hmm. they all show because, you know, as as we see later when they're being sort of first, like, questioned and then with Socinus actively interrogated, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you get that sense of they're not just looking out for, like, the innocent quote unquote, you know, liaisons between Tyrrell and, you know, Boomer, but yeah, you know, act, like actively like lying for him mm-hmm. in like very serious, you know, uh trial circumstances and that kind of thing. And yeah. so um there is a sense where I mean not you know, I I think there are probably you know people who are that loyal to Adama too, who would lie for him and do whatever. But yeah. you also get the sense that like Adama would put a stop to that mm-hmm. right away, mm-hmm. but Tyrrell doesn't. Mm-hmm. And whether that's just inexperience or or something else, like you do get the sense that like like he's not maybe as responsible with. Yeah. Other people's willingness to um uh uh cover for him or, you know, um do what he says. Like like he 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 sort of takes advantage of that loyalty mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. By by you by allowing it to be used, you know, in a way that's yeah. um less than maybe noble (laughs) um you know and starting off with just the fact that like he's already been ordered not to you know have these trysts or whatever with you know uh boomer and and all of that but then you know also like i mean it's hard to say because like i mean these are all adults and they're like sort of all making their own decisions but like you know Callie and jammer and sasinus all think they're doing the right thing by lying and saying they saw Mm -hmm. Tyrrell, but like their lies are so transparent. Like they're, they're very childish lies. Like, you know, talk, you know, even just sort of thinking about the difference between the loves of like the childish love of James and Elizabeth versus, you know, maybe the more mature love of Angel and Buffy. Like you get that same sort of sense here, like that there's, you know, the, the loyalty that Callie Jammer and Sosinus have to Tyrrell is very sort of childish and not, like not critical you know it's it's just sort of like oh we'll just lie to help him out but not really thinking about like the implications all the way through whereas Mm -hmm. you feel like the loyalty that people have for adama you know is is sort of the right form of loyalty that i think actually you get from the guard at the end like sure when when there's that decision you know that he has to make you know with adama standing there saying you know, you have the master at arms ordering you one thing and I'm ordering you this other thing. Ultimately, it's your choice. Mm-hmm. And and you get that sense of like, you know, obviously a much more serious situation maybe than, you know, 
mm-hmm. sleeping with a superior officer or whatever. But well, I mean, not that that's not serious per se, but you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a much more life and death component to that. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, you just get that sense of like, it's a much more mature and, and well thought out loyalty that the guard ultimately shows to Adama yeah. because he knows Adama to be, you know, someone who's like fair and, mm-hmm. and tough, but, you know, disciplined for a reason. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, whereas it's one thing to have it be an open secret of of Tyrrell and Boomer, but yeah, where we're to the point where we're at least somewhat trying to keep it secret from at least Ty or the like highest levels of command. And and Tyrrell has is is allowing his deck crew to openly like collaborate with that. Um so not just look the other way but be our lookouts and lie for us so that, you know, because absolutely if they get caught, which they do, um, it's not just Boomer and Tyrrell now who are on the hook for it, but you know, you're, you're risking, you know, Tyrrell talks at the end about risking his career and his reputation and his integrity. And it's like, well, you're also risking those things for your deck crew. Um, You know, if, if they get caught, it's now Callie is on, you know, is in trouble for, you know, uh, you know, standing guard and everything. So Tyrrell is definitely, I think, being irresponsible with, you know, the, what he's allowing them to do for him. Um, but I did want to, we, we wanted to talk on the, the debate that they have once the truth comes out about the, the humanoid Cylon models. Um, and I did want to mention that there is a definite, once that news comes, there is definitely this loyalty to the chief, like as their boss and everything. But once that, uh, you know, uh, rumor becomes confirmed that, you know, Cylons look like people and it could be anybody, there's a definite break, I think, between Jammer from Callie and Sasinus. You know, that they still, uh, you know, they kind of take slightly different positions. So Sinus is kind of saying we have to be loyal just for the sake of order and unity that, you know, yes, you know, people could be Cylons, but we can't assume that or else none of our loyalty to each other is worth anything. Um, Whereas Callie, like, kind of wants to defend people individually of, like, it doesn't even seem conceivable to her that people she trusts could be Cylons. You know, she says, you know, not the chief. Like, you know, yeah. I know him yeah. well enough. It's, it's, can't, it, like, trust me, it's not him. Um, so they seem kind of on the same side, but for slightly different reasons. Whereas Jammer, you know, definitely is the quickest to switch to, you know, what he says is like the every man for himself mindset of it could be anybody. And therefore the only person I can trust is myself. Um, It doesn't necessarily seem to occur to him that maybe your own self isn't even trustworthy, but um, you know, all of our previous loyalties are now suspect, you know, and the people you think you knew you don't necessarily know as well as you think you did. And if you, if you think otherwise, you're just being naive. So, um, 
Yeah, well, and it's, I mean, both he and Callie have excellent points that, yeah. like, Callie is saying, like, this is exactly how they want us to react, right? Is yep. to be uh, distrustful of each other. And he's saying, yeah, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't be distrustful of each <laughs> right. other. Like, yeah. like, there's still good reason to be distrustful of each other. And Right. Both of those right. things are true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and you even get like, cause you get that, um, you know, when he says, you know, watch your backs, like that's typically a threatening statement, but he doesn't really say it threateningly. It's, no, I don't think so. It's a warning, yeah. but not a threat. You know, it's like, you feel like he's being genuine there of yeah. like, like that. He, it's not like he's like, walking away from them and never going to talk to them again. Like, you yeah. know, they're still all working in the same hangar. Well, until Sosinus gets stripped of his rank and thrown in the brig. But, um, you know, they're still all working in the same uh, hangar deck and stuff. But they just, you know, like they're, that camaraderie is is gone, mm -hmm. like in, instantaneously, mm -hmm. basically. Um, at least for him, mm -hmm. you know, so anyway, um, okay. So the main plot, right. Mm -hmm. Which we've already sort of talked about in some <laughs> detail, yeah. but, yeah. um, you get a Doral, uh, copy, mm -hmm. which, you know, again, this brings up the question of, okay, so. Now, now this is the second one that we've seen within the fleet, right? So we don't know uh, how many more there may be. Right. Um, although now they at least have pictures out of these two. But, yeah. you know, obviously, <clears throat> like, we know that Sharon is a Cylon. We don't mm -hmm. know, like, the fact that she's on Galactica doesn't mean that there couldn't be other copies of her somewhere in the fleet. Like, sure, you know, they don't necessarily you know, most of the people in the fleet haven't met all of the crew of the Battlestar Galactica and wouldn't necessarily put two and two together. And, right. um, you know, we know that six is out there somewhere and, and, you know, maybe there's copies of her, mm -hmm. you know, in the fleet somewhere or in the, um, or yeah, in the fleet somewhere. And so, um, you know, we, we get this second copy of Doral who just sort of, wanders on to uh they and you have to wonder like even like like people knew that doral was in the brig like like because you have like uh, uh commander adama tell the master at arms right that um the information was sort of compartmentalized and and you know, only, uh, right. Or, or even like Rosalind says that only like she and Adama and like a handful of others knew, but like, like Doral was put in the brig and there were like other soldiers there. Right. And the, you know, so like soldiers dragged him out to, right. To the, die and like to, left behind in the, yeah. Yeah. On the, on the Ragnar station. So mm -hmm. like, you know, you, 
it's bigger than just like a couple people. Mm -hmm. So you have to wonder, like, even if there was never a formal thing put out, like, you know, everyone seems to know about Baltar's work at a Cylon detector. Like, how could that possibly have stayed a secret? Sure. You know? Sure. Now, you do get references before this to rumors. Um, It doesn't seem like those rumors have reached everybody, but you get, like, Crash Boomer and Crash Town talking about, oh, there's silence look like people. Like, the rumors have gotten out into the rumor mill, although other people seem to be totally surprised. Like, they, they'd never heard this. Yeah. So, um, but so even say you didn't want to put out the message of, you know, Cylons look like people now. I feel like you still should have had. Adama, like maybe saying, okay, let's give a picture of Doral to our security team as a, a person on, or you know, Grata yeah, or something. Yeah. Like, like he's someone who's not allowed to just sort of wander onto the Battlestar. Like, like there seems like there might have been a middle ground between saying Cylons can look like people and Hey, there's this one dude that if you see him, arrest him immediately. So here's, you know what I mean? So here's a question, and I don't yeah. know that I know the answer definitively. Do they know before this that there are multiple copies of of the models? You know, because they've met they've met Doral and they've met Leoben, but I don't know. I'm not disagreeing with you that there aren't smarter ways that they could have gone about this, but I don't know for sure that they even know that maybe there are more Dorals out there. Like maybe they think that was, maybe they think they're only right. individuals like people are. Um, and it's only, yeah. it's only occurring to them now of, Oh, wait a minute. Crap. There could be like 10 different Dorals scattered amongst the fleet. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, I, I think, I think you're right. Like, I don't, I don't know per se. Like I don't, yeah, I mean, without going back through, like, indication. the transcripts, I don't know that for sure. Um, but, um, they definitely acknowledge that there can be multiple copies of them here, but, like, like you're sort of implying, like, maybe this is where they learn that. and Sure. Um, and I'm, just, I'm wondering. I don't know that for sure, but... Um, yeah, I don't... But definitely, I think... I don't think... I, I mean, I don't think... I don't think we have any positive evidence that they would have known that there were multiple copies. Sure. Like, I I think they... Like... And quite frankly, like, remember, the fact that L- Doral is identified as a Cylon is a lucky guess. That's true. They don't even know it for sure. Um. So, you know, it just happens to be that that he is. Um, so Leo Ben is really the only one that they identify Mm -hmm. positively as, as like legitimately Mm -hmm. positively as a silent. Now, obviously like they didn't have any doubt other than Baltar who, who just sort of pointed him out. Right. Right. Um, pointed Doral out. Like nobody else had doubts about Doral really Mm -hmm. being a Cylon. Like, Right. Or at least not enough doubt that like they were that they were willing to bring him along with them. Right. And and certainly now that like they've seen another <clears throat> copy who has, you know, 
gone and done a suicide bombing basically uh you know like if there were any doubts like this has put all of those to rest yeah um no but i i think one of the things that us kind of questioning this is making me think is like again in the show um you have these clashing viewpoints that are both have good points in some ways and are flawed in other ways and you know we we'll get into mm-hmm. the whole uh process of you know sergeant hadrian and this tribunal and it definitely has its uh problems as you know as far as their behavior goes but also i don't know that that um uh cancels out the fact that there is room for critique in how adama and roslyn have handled their information and their security whether that's from I mean, from maybe a writing standpoint, you could critique that, but also I think internally the characters critique that, like, that's what, that's exactly what Hadrian is saying is like, you know, Hey, what else could we have done? Was this a preventable thing? Um, so, you know, I think that's a valid and, and I think it does a pretty good job of that, of like, you know, Adama and Roslyn aren't beyond, uh, some criticism for the way that they've, the decisions that they've made. Um, Adama and Roslyn may disagree with that, but, (laughs) you know, I think you can sit and think of like five other ways that you could have, you know, uh, handled what they learned that might have, you know, uh, closed in some of these gaps and prevented this from happening. So I think that's like fair. And that's part of the, the point of having these clashing, you know, viewpoints of how you deal with this stuff um is like each of them has sort of valid points against the other yeah um okay so i feel like we're kind of all over the place but so basically the the bombing that doral Mm -hmm. uh facilitates or whatever you want to call it um you know uh triggers a investigation mm-hmm. um so adama pulls in sergeant hadrian who's the master at arms and sort of lets her in on the secret about cylons and their ability to look like humans and um orders her to investigate and she takes it a step further and says that in order to do it properly she's going to need sort of full authority and mm-hmm. you know an ability to run an independent investigation you know and so they set up this tribunal um which at first like the tribunal is apparently a civilian one right like so right adama has to like work with roslyn to set this up mm-hmm. and she has some reservations about it um which is interesting because she you know on the one hand like she's already like will it like she's already convinced that someone on you know the Battlestar screwed up mm-hmm. like you know uh she says you know a silent agent penetrated your security killing three people at least one of your men or women screwed up like mm-hmm. there's no question in her mind but at the same time she does not like the idea of a tribunal mm-hmm. and she says in the same sort of paragraph or whatever um you know, uh, 
independent tribunal, openness, transparency, it all sounds great. But after 20 years in political office, I'm telling you, these things have a way of inflicting damage on the people you least expect, um, which turns out it's exactly what happens. Exactly right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she says, I do not want a witch hunt on our hands, which, again, the very thing that she says she doesn't want is mm -hmm. what comes about. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I find that interesting because I, I feel like so rarely in this series is there sort of that level of accurate prediction. Sure. You know, in, in sort of a viewpoint. Like, it, it, it usually seems like it's messier than mm. that um and especially i find it interesting that you know there that this that this this view sort of bookends the episode but from different people because it's later when adama is being interrogated by the tribunal mm -hmm. that he sets up right <laughs> like you know this is the irony right yeah um he he convinces Rosalind to set up a tribunal that then hauls him before it, right? And starts questioning his, you know, actions and stuff and loyalties right. and whatnot. Um, until finally he says, you know, you've lost your way, Sergeant. And then to the tribunal itself, he says, you've lost sight of the purpose of the law to protect its citizens, not persecute them. Mm -hmm. Whatever we are, whatever whatever's left of us, we're better than that. Um, and then, uh, you know, there's sort of like some complaints and blah, blah, blah. And then Adama says, this is a witch hunt. I will not have it aboard my ship. So, like, you know, again, you have both the president and the commander calling this a witch hunt um, mm -hmm. and sort of, you know, recognizing the problems sort of inherent in this open and, you know, transparent procedure, um, which doesn't seem to be all that open and transparent. Like they're, they're all going into like this closed room and, right. you know, it's, it's a star chamber, not really a right. trial, you know, like, or not like a open trial. Or right. Right. Um, and so, you know, I mean, like, you know, again, like it's that viewpoint of, of this witch hunt that becomes the, the sort of bookends um, to the yeah. investigation. Um, and, you know, I'm like, I'm curious because I, I do kind of feel like it's hard to understand Sergeant Hadrian's motives mm. um, in all of this. Like, is she mad because, like, security is under her purview and, mm. you know, clearly there was, like, a security lapse, but maybe it wasn't entirely her fault because, you know, had she known about certain things, like she says, right. like it almost feels like instead of trying to find the truth, she's tr more trying to acquit herself. Yeah. By a lot and, of her questions. And a lot of her testimony is like, or her interrogation is very leading, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, you know, specialist, did you leave the door open purposely? Like, if if I were right. the defense lawyer, I'd be calling foul all over that, you know, leading the witness. You can't right. tell them what they're going to say. Um, right. Well, and that's, and like, when you get to Obama, he even says, like, I'm not going to speculate. Like, Obama? You, Adama. <laughs> did I say Obama? Yeah. Adama. <laughs> that's uh, funny. Um, right. When it gets to yes. Adama, 
Yeah. And he says, I'm not going to speculate. Yeah. Uh, you know, like that's that very thing of, but even, you know, even with Tyrrell, where she's, you know, uh, implying that like, you know, he left or caused to have left, you know, the hatch open, you know, for collusion and, and saying like, oh, you know, didn't you have the codes? And he's like, well, yes, lots of people have the codes. And in fact, like, you're the one responsible for security. So mm -hmm. this is kind of your fault. Like, you know, he reminds or informs the, the tribunal that, you know, having, having, you know, that internal security matters are precisely under Sergeant Hadrian, who's sort of the one implying otherwise here. So, yeah. 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 Very much, very much seems like a lot of her, uh, questioning and um, interrogation and, and and all of that are more to absolve her from any wrongdoing rather than actually get at the truth, right? Of and, what happened, and I think that's a good point because, like in, like you pointed out with Roslyn, that's a good distinction with Roslyn because she is definitely convinced that, like you said, somebody screwed up. The question is, was that due to negligence or intentional like do you have a sabotage situation or was it somebody neglected to close a door and right. those are two very different things that could maybe lead to the same result so that seems like the leap that Hadrian makes like okay she's just doing innocent questioning going around and everybody's like lying even just with her regular question of like where were you like, that's not a leading question. She's just asking, where were you? And all of their testimonies, like, contradict each other. So, and they all contradict the chief. Like, that's kind of what leads her to the chief is like, nobody, everyone's telling me something different about where he was. But yeah, like, once you get into, like, the actual interrogation, it does seem like she suddenly leaps from, why don't we know what your alibi was and where you were and did you leave the door open to suddenly were you yeah. were you meeting with somebody about this right. were you intentionally you know um you know sabotaging the ship or you know collaborating with Cylons or whatever you know or right. like with Sasinus did Chief Cheryl tell you to leave it open like you know all these kinds of like we suddenly went from people who uh, you go from Rosalind's thing of, okay, somebody screwed up to now when it becomes a witch hunt is when it becomes who is the, the, you know, the traitor on board, you know, who can we sort right. of blame as, and that does, that would absolve Hadrian because if it was left open due to negligence, then she could be implicated for that. Like, oh, it wasn't, you know, secure enough. Whereas if it was sabotage, then that's less her fault, you know, because somebody sort of deliberately went about doing it. So, yeah. um, yeah. Um, so the conclusion of course, is that Sosinus ultimately gets like, he sort of ends up being the scapegoat, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, in one sense, he, it's still not clear. Like, I, I like Obama, or Obama, I did it again. <laughs> Adama's phrase of, 
um, you know, somewhere in here there's truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know. Yeah. Like. There's a lot of have truths and, yeah. You don't really end up knowing what Sosinus actually did. Like, like clearly, like, he was doing on the other end of the passageway what Callie was doing on the end that we see, right? Like, mm -hmm. like sort of watching yeah. out and having the chief's back. But, but why he, like, persists at that point and continues to lie under oath and, you know, uh, sort of preserve that whatever, you know, yeah, it is I, kind of it, it is kind of naive and yeah. upsetting. Um, but like Adama says, uh, one way or the one way or the other, he lied right. in like an official capacity, and he, you know, maybe Tyrrell asked him to do it, but he still chose to do it. Is that like it makes me think of um, the movie A Few Good Men, right? Mm. Like where ultimately they're they're dishonorably discharged mm -hmm. because, you know, they didn't stand up for their mate, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, you know, here it's like, well, yes, maybe Tyrrell asked him to do this, but like, he should have been, he should have felt strong enough to say no, even yeah. though, you know, Tyrrell's like, not just a superior, but also like a buddy, you know, like, mm -hmm as we saw with like the stuff in the till in yeah. the still. Um, so, you know, to Adama's point, like he still did something wrong. Like he <laughs> still needs to be punished and there's still a punishment there, but Tyrrell feels bad because he's not being punished as well. Mm -hmm. And, and kind of feels like Sosinus is taking his place. And Adama like points out that like, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> actually true. Yeah. And by the way, you now have this different punishment of realizing that your indiscretions have led to basically ruining someone else's life and career. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, for someone like Tyrrell is, you know, not to say that, like, maybe he shouldn't have been, you know, put in the brig too. Like Adama even says, Adama, I said it right. Uh, even says like yes you should have been put in the break as well but yeah I need you doing these other things that's I need that's one of the biggest points to me like one of the like realist moments I guess is like the practice like the pragmatism of that of yeah like yeah you you violated your own oaths and lied and and got your man sent to the brig and all the stuff that you should be like you know put in the brig and demoted for and all this stuff i can't afford to do that so you get to get away with it because of how valuable you are to the survival of humanity like that's a kind of like you think about like and like i mean i think we're pretty sure like tyrrell didn't like sabotage the ship so it's not like he like is getting away with like murder in that sense, but he's getting away with a lot because Adama can't afford to lose someone at the highest level like that. Um, you know, and like, that's a tough, like you kind of realize, like, I think 
especially for like the characters that we get to know really well, they're all like, they're all those high level characters in the ship. And you realize how valuable each and every one of them is that like, you can't really afford to, you know, lose any of them at this point. Um, so yeah. And well, and the other part that makes me think of that too, is when he's telling Roslyn about who Tyrrell is. And he says like, if he wanted to take the ship down, he could. Like there are certain people who have that much knowledge and rank and authority on the ship who have the ability to single-handedly take this whole thing down, but we have to trust them because what else are you going to do? Um, yeah. You have nobody to replace them with um, or nobody that isn't just as suspect. Um, so he kind of, it seems like Adama goes with like, Sasinus's point in the debate of yes I acknowledge that it's a risk and that there may be silence among us but for the sake of unity we can't afford to you know suspect each other we have to just sort of trust and go along with you know what we think we know of each other you know mm -hmm. um but like it kind of brings home the reality of like the vulnerability of their situation, you know, that like chief or somebody else would have the ability to sort of, you know, take the whole thing down if he wanted to. Um, so. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, ultimately the best conviction yet, right? Like, I mean, as or best, not conviction, the opposite of conviction, the best sort of, uh, uh, defense yeah you know for Tyrrell yeah right. is that right if he could like, have done it he would have yeah given given the amount of sabotage and damage like even the you know um you know like with the accidental missile you know thing mm -hmm. uh was that last episode or the episode before yeah uh like like yeah if Tyrrell had wanted to destroy the BSG like yeah. It would be done already. There right. would like there would they would already have been captured by the Cylons and, and right. all of that. Um right. you know, whereas these other uh uh sabotages have you know, there's certainly been destructive, but they haven't yeah been crippling, you know. Right. So right. um yeah. Anyway. Um So one other sort of side piece to all this that we sort of can chew upon, um, or rather that Baltar gets to chew upon, uh, is the realization of like we don't we don't actually know what the target was, you know, what Doral's target was. No, we don't. That's um, good point. But Starbuck brings up the point of Hey, Baltar, aren't you doing some super secret Cylon <laughs> detector project? Um, on C-Deck. <laughs> on C-Deck, yeah. where this explosion happens. Hey, did you ever think that maybe this Cylon agent was aiming for you? Yeah. Um, you know, and your super secret project that everybody seems to know about yeah. on C-Deck. Um, and it's like... You know, again, we see that thing of where, you know, Baltar is obviously smart, but mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, that intelligence has its blind spots. Yeah. 
so you get him like, oh, I never really <laughs> thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> like, and then he gets really agitated and like runs out. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, like I mean, it's you know again, it's just that thing of like, and and now he's worried, but like he gets you know to a point where uh maybe he has another out right mm -hmm. like oh i can just say that there was sabotage and mm -hmm. you know then i don't actually have to create a detector um except that then head six threatens him right <laughs> and and tells him he has to make it which you know again we don't know is is head six you know a figment of his imagination or is there an independent right uh entity you know yeah. is this actually like six communicating with him somehow right um right and there's definitely times where it sounds like she's you know the the voice inside his own head of saying like oh me 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 but they're trying to destroy your work it's not all about you and you know uh, all yeah. this kind of stuff but then yeah there's times where she tells him things he absolutely doesn't want to hear and that are against his self-interest, you know? So sure. slamming him against the wall and like, you know, quoting the Hulk and everything, like, <laughs> um, you know, and, and like, this is like, seems to be the more leans in the other direction of actually mm. she has motivations that are separate from his um, and that, she would be displeased if he would, you know, go the other way. Um, so, yeah. 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 All right. So, um, I mean, we already sort of mentioned the uh, ending with Tyrrell, like breaking up with Boomer. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the conversation with Adama that sort of, leads all of that but so you know just again to bring back around though this idea of you know one of the things that the cylons you know that that's so there's the physical attack right which we learn kills three people and sort of i think injures 12 do they say uh something Some, like that something like that so um but the real damage they do is psychological right because now there's information out there about mm -hmm. Cylons looking like people. They've sown dissension. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, particularly now you have Tyrrell, sort of the result of the hitch hunt for Tyrrell, the witch hunt. They say hitch hunt. And I cannot, I cannot talk to them. I don't know why. You know what? I was looking at the word hatch and I, I, it just threw me off. Anyway. The witch hunt, uh, sort of the result for Tyrrell, is that now he has his own suspicions too because why, like, he he seems to know or suspect strongly that Sasinus isn't actually the one who left mm. that, that hatch open. Mm -hmm. And he asks Boomer about it. And of course boomer uh having just been jilted <laughs> gets to play the i'm not answering your stupid question mm -hmm. card um 
which you know us knowing that she is a Cylon and probably is the one Mm -hmm. who left the door open uh you know we know that but you know I can also see like you know there there is that sort of response of you know legitimate I think response of you know, I'm not even going to give Dig- credence dignify to your, that with an answer. Yeah, yeah. to your question. Yeah, um, you know, which many a jilted lover has, mm-hmm. I'm sure, you know, used that same excuse to avoid perhaps uh, uh, awkward or you know, perhaps questions that they don't want to have answered. Yeah, um, in one form or another. Um, so, yeah, which, you know, which is the more, you know, I, I mentioned Rosalind's sort of very clean prediction, you know, and, and how it works out pretty much exactly how it, how you would expect. Like, this is, this obviously is the ambiguous, mm-hmm. uh, ending, which is maybe more <laughs> what we tend to expect. Um, yeah. with some of these situations um where yeah. you know again we we can assume but ultimately we don't know right you know because especially because you get the sense that like boomer doesn't always know mm-hmm. what's going on like with the episode where you know she wakes up or comes to or whatever you know dripping wet mm-hmm. and then you know it seems like later the obvious implication is that she's the one who put the bomb in the water tank. Like, but you don't know. And, and then you get the, um, you know, like when she's in the Raptor and sort of discovers, uh, one that there's a detonator next to her. Um, but also that there's water on the planet and she can't, Mm-hmm. like there's the those moments where like there's clearly some sort of programming or thought process that she's struggling against mm-hmm. so so like there's actually a few options right one is that she left the hatch open and didn't uh, you know and did it like on purpose mm-hmm. and you know to let a sil- another cylon in um there's the possibility that she didn't leave it open and that it actually was Sosinus mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, you know, maybe yeah. Tyrrell did tell him to do it. And so he did. And then went and took a smoke break and got some food and, you right. know, took his time about it. Um, or maybe, maybe she opened it and didn't realize it, like mm-hmm. doesn't remember doing it. Um, yeah. You know, all of those are, are possibilities. Yeah, it's interesting that after Adama's thing of somewhere in this there's truth, we still don't really know what the truth is. Like, and usually yeah. I think as the audience we get the 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 God's eye point of view of even if the characters don't know, we get to see what really happened. Where it's sure. interesting that we never get that, and because we don't see that scene, we only see we follow Doral going in, but we don't actually get a hundred percent confirmation of who all did what, you know, or for what right. reason. Um, so yeah, you can definitely think of a bunch of different, you know, plausible possibilities. 
Um, yeah, and, and Boomer's thing is definitely ambiguous because uh, it's we definitely with the water you saw her waking up and not realizing where she was. So even though she might have planted a bomb, you have your sympathy is with her because you know she's confused right. and doesn't remember. Whereas we don't get that this time. So like when she says like she's not going to answer the question at the end, it's hard to tell like. Is that just because she's offended by the question or, you know, like you can't help but be with Tyrell and be like, hmm, you know, yeah. <laughs> what's Maybe going there's on? Something there's going something on there. going on here. And like he in the whole like, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, turbulent emotional stuff in this episode of what he goes through is able to all those like suspicions that he had sort of suppressed early on all like come back you know all the stuff of like the way he talked himself out of any possibility that boomer could have been at fault before suddenly now he's probably looking back over the last couple of weeks or whatever and going well you know having to rethink all those things that he had sort of yeah. assumed before yeah um and although again that could just be all the paranoia and distrust that the Cylons were intending to, to sow. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that's, he's, you know, noble or correct for doing that. Um, yeah. 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 Who knows? <laughs> but anyway, so there we are. Uh, there we are. I, I think, I think we hit all the, notes that we were gonna hit um i think so so yeah all right well we'll be back then again next week with some more bsg and another episode of angel yeah so all right all right see you then